It's just another bad day, dark feelings are back Assaulting your heart with a panic attack There ain't no shame in feeling depressed You need to sit down and talk son Get it off your chest, it's just another bad day dark You're not getting a fucking intro today, anyone Because I've tried to make time So I'm going to go straight in with season two, episode two With my co-host Andy G, welcome to everybody And our guest Neil Smedley Looking forward to getting Neil on and really delving in. I met Neil at uh, another podcast event and a uh, very, very uh, articulate, insightful man, uh, which I'm sure we'll get we'll get into that. We have no rules, as people know, on this podcast. We just we just sort of rip in. So, Neil, I guess a bit of an intro about you, mate. Um, yeah, where to start, really. It's um, I'm coming to my own Kinkori Barbershop, which is where you and I met doing the, doing the last podcast. I've been doing that for kind of the last 10 years. Also, um, originally from Scarborough, <clears throat> um, had a pretty checkered sort of past, checkered upbringing. Um, and I guess I'm in the middle now, I'm trying to figure figure all that out and make, make the future better. But I suppose what's more important than any of that, and all those things are just sidebars to, to any of that. Like, um, I'm a dad, I've got two kids, um, Kobe, my son, who's eight, Juno, my little girl, who's three. Um, and really, outside of my identity as a father, you know, everything else is a, is a distant second. Love that. And we, when we met at that thing, we were having a lot of interesting discussions about being a dad, business people, and you were going through a bit of a storm yourself, so I know a bit of your backstory. But do you want to mm-hmm. give anyone listening a bit? This this, this podcast, there's not, the real purpose of this is just to inspire or give people hope. Yeah. Uh, and you're someone who is, you know, like other guests, and, and you've got your own unique story. You, you've been through some storms in life, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, you know, we all have. But yeah, I've, I've definitely got, you know, been through my own struggle. So I was, I was raised in Scarborough. And there's two of us, me and my brother. Um, my brother's Lee, he's 18 months younger than me. Raised in a very religious family, so we we're Mormons, <clears throat> which is um, it's a form of Christianity, but it's very, very extreme. So it's not just like you, you go to church on a Sunday. This is it dictates every facet of your life. So it's, it's everything. It's a belief system. It's an ideology. It's your culture. It's where you socialise. It's who you marry. It's absolutely you know all encompassing. So we were raised in that. Um, so it was a very, a very strict way to be brought up certainly wasn't all negative you know there were, there were beautiful facets of the religion as well that stand me in good stead now even though i'm not a believer <clears throat> um we were poor we were really really poor and i don't say that sort of you know half-hearted or something we were poor um my dad worked three jobs just to get us by we lived on the worst council estate that there was in in, in the town my mum worked part-time um at a local petrol station and really the our family met a tragic end if you like towards you know towards the back end of things but if there was a success story about the the nucleus that existed 20 30 years ago it's that both of my parents worked their bollocks off to go on and they bought the council house it was a huge achievement for us we moved off the council estate we decided where we we're going to live my dad one of the cleaning jobs that he had was at scarborough police station 15 years after he was a cleaner there he became a policeman there um <clears throat> he couldn't read or write until he was 29 my dad 29 30 my mum taught him to read and write my mum went back to university <clears throat> despite having two kids that were 10 and 12 at the, uh, 10 and 12 at the time. Retrained as a social worker. She became a social work manager, um, became head of department. And eventually, you know, they, they kind of became middle class. They thought to be, you know, to get into that, get into that bracket. It all went very wrong. Um, don't want to keep going and getting into this. So yeah. It's um, so we're at a very unusual end to our family. So we were a close family. Um, my dad is a very complicated man, manic depressive, um, probably bipolar, although it's not been diagnosed. 
always up and down with his moods. So that had a huge impact on my childhood and my brother's childhood. I mean, we lived with that every single day. So you didn't know what mood dad was going to be when he came home. And my dad was a good man, is a good man, also a very dark man. Um, so we were really, really young, you know. So by, by the time me and my brother were sort of seven and eight, we'd learned to judge these adult themes. We'd learned to figure out what triggered the depression and not do that. And we'd learned to figure out what we could say and couldn't say and what we could ask for and couldn't ask for when my dad was in, in one of those dark places. So my dad's story was was a really difficult one as well. He was he was adopted as a child. He was in and out of foster homes all through his life. Um, sexually abused inside children's homes. Really, really broken, broken childhood that he had. So he, you know, I'm a man now and I'm a dad now. So I look back and with less maybe anger and resentment than I did as a, as a younger man, because I understand that he was doing the best he could with what he had. So he managed to overcome all of that and meet my mum and get married. One of the downsides of what he went through was that he realised, so he learned rather, when he was 39, 40, that he had two sisters that he'd never met and he had a mother that he'd never met. Um, he was going up for adoption hours after his birth. So one day, I remember really clearly, I was 19 years old. I was at my, um, my college prom, Christmas prom. Got a phone call saying that my dad had received a phone call at the police station where he was on shift from a, an old sounding Irish woman who claimed to be his mother. Um, so we got that news as a family and we were kind of really excited for my dad, you know. It was, we thought it was going to be the, the missing piece that gave him back his identity that kind of fixed that hole that even his own family couldn't fix. And to cut a long story short, he went down to London with my mum about a week after that phone call. Um, he met the two sisters that he had, um, two half-sisters. He met his mum. And within about two to three weeks of that meeting, my dad was having an affair with one of his sisters. Um, it's something called GSA, which is Genetic Sexual Attraction which we'd never heard of, most people wouldn't have done, but actually it's, when you look into it, it's a staggering psychological phenomenon. It happens in 50% of all cases where a child's going up for adoption and then meets a sibling in adulthood. 50% of all cases, not necessarily a, a physical contact, but there are feelings of, of a sexual nature between the siblings. It's a, it's a really deep, deep psychological phenomenon. Um, so he pursued that and he pursued it for two years. He left the home in Scarborough, destroyed my mum, um, destroyed the family of the sister. She was married with two children as well. And because he was a policeman, it became it became a big deal. It was a, it was a great headline, wasn't it? You know, policeman sleeps with sister. It was, it was an amazing headline. So he was featured all over the national press. He was on the front page of the, the Daily Mail, The Guardian. He was on Richard and Judy. Um, he was on Radio 4. CNN from America came and made a documentary about him um, that I was a part of. And it became a real big deal for a while. Um, but my father never recovered from that. He never recovered from it. He'd caused that much damage to the family and to my mum. And my mum, you know, God bless her, she passed away five years ago. But my mum was an incredible woman. She she waited and waited and waited for him, you know. And um, I'm trying not to get teary. She waited and waited for him. And my mum was so insightful, you know. She wasn't thinking about her or, oh, my God, my husband cheated on me. And that kind of usual, you know, almost teenage response to these things. She She understood. She was able to separate her pain personally as a woman from her understanding of the situation, um, which is an incredibly brave thing to do. And she did that and she waited and waited and waited. And it became clear that, that my dad was just lost. He was incredibly lost and he wasn't going to come back. And by the time he did come back, it was too late. My mum had, had moved on. She met somebody else and been married. And um, to this day, I, mean, I don't have a relationship with my father anymore. I've not spoken for the last year, 18 months. He's... Um, you know, like I say, he's not all bad. He's a good man. He's got good intentions. He has a good heart. 
but he's um he's a very broken man and he lives with an awful lot of regret. I'm sure you guys know people that live with with regret, and when you see that in grown men, it's um it's a tragedy to to see men that are 60, 65 living with things that haunt them that they can never ever fix, you know. And that's where my dad is now. So, so yeah, so um we endured all that as kids, you know. So me and my brother were we were we had the emotional intelligence of 60 year olds at 10. You know, we had to. We had a really strange upbringing like that, so we, we had to grapple with those things really really early on, and. I got married early. I was 19 when I got married. Um, got married to a Mormon girl, um, far too young, far too inexperienced, didn't have a clue what I was doing, no idea. The marriage lasted two years almost to the day. Um, and then I was kicked out of my religion, being a Mormon. So I had spent my entire life living Mormonism, like living it really, really well. So I was, I was a virgin when I got married, no sex before marriage, no alcohol, no drugs. Um, didn't have my first taste of alcohol until I was 24 years old. Went through this divorce, fell off the rails really, really badly, just abandoned everything that I'd previously believed in. So all my belief system just crumpled. Um, and I went out and I, I did everything. I drank everything, I snorted everything, I slept with everything. And I lived this crazy hedonistic lifestyle for two years. And then I had this, this kind of transcendent experience one night, realized that it, it wasn't who I was and, um, and kind of pulled away from all that. So um, yeah, yeah, that's, that was, that's the basis. And then to get me to where I am now, um, I got married to a girl called Jory 12 years ago, where I want to keep going through a divorce now. <laughs> We've actually just stay away from marriage. Um, so me, me and Jody have, have two children together. Um, and I'm a radically different person to the person I was when I was 20, 25, 30, 35. I used to be a big liberal guy, um, a big socialist guy. I used to be that guy that would avoid conflict at all costs. That was, and um, and I'm, I'm not that person now. Um, I've, I, I like to think that I've grown up a lot. I mean, the catalyst for that was my mum dying. So she died five years ago. And despite appearances, you know, I'm a mummy's boy. I always was a mummy's boy. You know, I wouldn't buy a house or a car or, or go on a date with a girl without seeking her approval. So when she died, it really, really made me question everything about who I was. Um, and that really was the turning point for the, the person that I am now. Powerful, mate. Fucking powerful. Didn't know any of that. And, you know, hear that. Wow. You know, a lot of that stuff there you've had to go through and enjoys, you know, smacking credit, mate, that you're still being as positive as you are, you know, especially especially what you're going through, that storm you're going through now. One thing that's always uh, interested me about you, and it'll be interesting, you said it yourself then, played on nicely, you said about the appearance. Yeah. You said, you know, despite the appearance of my mum was boy, well, tell us about the appearance. There's always a story behind everything, isn't there? Yeah, there is. It's, um, it's a strange thing to explain, really, because it's, or maybe I underestimate people's, just you know comprehension of understanding it so when my mum died i had a real look I, i've known throughout my entire life that i wasn't the person that i wanted to be or the person that i should be i've known that since i was 16. i've always believed you know rightly or wrongly that i was capable of more that i should be doing more i had a belief system that i wasn't living my behavior and my actions didn't make, match up um and i was a fake in a lot of ways there's no other way but i was a fake and because i could articulate myself in a certain way and i looked a certain way and I had a level of confidence that was strange for a 19 or 20 year old. I was able to manipulate my surroundings really easily. And at the time, you think, oh, this is great. And it's not great. It's not until you, you get to 30 that you realize you just wasted 10 years hiding from who you actually are. So when my mum died, I used that as a, as a time to really reflect. Because it's weird, isn't it? We, we all, look, all of us know we're going to die. That's what makes human beings unique. We're the only animal that's, that's aware of its own mortality. Yet nobody lives as if we're going to die. None of us. None of us actually realize that and stake our life on the fact that today could be the last day. None of us do it. 
so me losing my mum was my first real life brush with um, with mortality. So it made me say, right, you're 35, well, I was 35 at the time. Your mum's just died, she's the closest thing to you. You have a child now, I had one child then, Kobe. You are not the man you want to be. You're not the man that you should be. You're not the father you should be. You're not the husband you should be. You're not the friend that you should be. A lot of you is bullshit. A lot of you is fake. A lot of you is a fraud. Even if people don't see it, you know it. Um, and that needs to change. And I made a decision then that I wanted to differentiate myself from the crowd as much as humanly possible. And I wanted to do that physically. I wanted to do it emotionally. I wanted to look different to the crowd. I wanted to think different to the crowd. I wanted to read the books they wouldn't read. I wanted to travel to the places they wouldn't travel. Um, you know, I realized really early on that, that the crowd's not where it's at. Um, the crowd is not a, a good arbiter of, of, of truth on what's good. So, yeah, that's where the, the appearance came from. And then I, I began just getting more and more tattoos. I mean, I've always been into tattoos anyway. So when I first started getting tattoos, it wasn't as deep a concept as that. But certainly when I started going onto my face and stuff, it was it was very deliberate, you know? It was very deliberate. I, I knew exactly what I was doing. I always think that never any regrets. Honestly, no. None. I know people say, but I don't have any regrets. But I think that's to do with, with my mindset. I'm doing wrong. I've had a few wobbles. So, I mean, I don't know how much my face you can see. I, I forget it's there. But I got one or two. And one or two kind of looks cool. It's a bit risky, but you can kind of get away with it. No one really notices. And I started getting just loads and loads. And the very last tattoo I got was that one under my eye. And it was the first time when I looked in the mirror and went, you fucked it. You yeah. fucked it. This is it. You've gone too far. And ironically, you know, I'm at King Kobe. I've got 20 guys down there that work for me. Nobody even noticed it. I mean, Jody, the mother of my kids, didn't even notice it for months. That's how that's how insignificant it was compared to everything else. But I never, never any regrets. And I think the reason for that is, my, since my mum went, my mindset just completely shifted. Yeah. It's, um, look, 99% of what we worry about, it doesn't matter. And that's not a cliche. It does not matter. And I've got a tattoo, I can't remember, here, I think, with the initials AIW, which, is, which means all is well. And what that means to me is, unless a man in a white coat comes and sits me down in a hospital room and tells me that one of my children is terminally ill, everything's fine. Everything's fine. That's the only thing that can occur in my life that's insurmountable. That's it. Everything else is fine. If I lose my business tomorrow, all right, cool. We've had a good month. You know, I'm smart enough. I'm intelligent enough. We'll think of a new idea and we'll come again. You know, I've been through death. I've been through divorce. I've, I've, I've experienced loss. You know, I've been through dark, dark things. And I'm still here. I'm still here and I'm all right. And that was a real powerful lesson for me. You know, it's like, and I boxed, I boxed for 20 years. We well, play rugby, right? And you know, when you first start doing these pursuits when you're younger and you have that bit of trepidation as a young man, oh, I don't want to get it for the first time. What The first time I, I, I do a tackle and, and it kind of hurts. And then almost immediately after that, it's like, that was all right. I got punched in the mouth and I'm still here. I got punched in the mouth. This is all right. I can do it. And you get confidence from that. Which is why I'm a big believer in people shouldn't avoid conflict. So my confidence came from going, okay, I've lost my mum. She's my best friend, my anchor. I'm all right. You know, and I actually felt a bit of guilt for that. I'm like, I'm all right. You know, I've been through divorce, you know, not not being there with my kids every single day like I want to. I'm all right. Like, it's not ideal, but I'm all right. So I just realised, look, as long as my children are happy and healthy, everything, everything else is up for negotiation. Everything. I don't, I don't you know, I don't, I care about so little that actually caring about so little has made my life infinitely better. I love that, that saying there, it's not ideal, but it's all right. And I think if a lot of people could understand that within our followers and our users of our groups and, and the lads that it's not ideal, you know, going through a relationship, break down a job loss, 
Um, but it's all right, and I love that. And another side note, there's uh, just named it when you said about conflict there, it's just a slight funny one. So, uh, Andy, uh, you know where I'm going with this, don't you, Andy? I knew it was going to come towards me because I, I came up to collect some keys from you a couple of weeks ago, and you mentioned to me you don't like conflict, do you? So, well, I didn't. Well, 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 it's actually quite a humorous story. So, Andy worked at uh, an high school, um, and before he left to come up. It's my club. He had his first taste of rugby league, didn't you, Andy? He loves rugby league. And he decided that <laughs> he, like an old kid, said, we want to tackle you, sir. We want to, we want to play full contact. And he's like, no, 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 we can't. And they're like, well, you leave and just play full contact with us. So Andy took the uh, the best kid. Do you, you ever watch rugby? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember a guy called Paliasina? Yeah. yeah. devastated off kickoff. That were Andy, that one time only. Against 12, 14-year-olds and every one of them. Yeah, they weren't 12 or 14. They were 16 to 18, I'll have you know. I know, but don't let me under. 14 sounds a little bit better than 18. There were some big lads as well, but you flattened them all. So that just made me... When you said that about people get nervous about that first carry or that first punch, that were under, you could see them catch ball. And they went, bang! Go, Shit, I'm in it now. What am going to do? Yeah. I'd do that with it's weird because it, it's... And you get those moments all the time, whether it's a physical thing or a business or whatever. And it's um, there's, there's almost an element of excitement attached to them as well. Because it's, it's only in those moments that you realise that you're not made of glass, emotionally and physically. It's only in those moments. And yet, you know, we we spend our entire fucking lives doing all we can to avoid struggle. 100%. And we'll do anything to avoid struggle. And then we'll wonder why our lives aren't working out. Do you know what? I think a common thing in, in every person we've had on under. Um, no matter you know the depths of the the story, whether someone's going through a storm right now, our saying and his man club, our tagline has always been: you're either just been through a storm, currently going through a storm with a storm brewing, and, and nearly clearly been through some big storms, and you're going through a storm now, you know, with the divorce. Mm. I think the thing that gets most people through the storms is something that, that you've clearly done uh, very well over your life is acceptance. I think when people, when too many people resist acceptance and they resist the fact that things are going to change and they ain't got no control over it, it sends them into a turmoil. That storm gets bigger. Where what you seem to be uh, uh, really do skill wise is develop the skill of acceptance. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, and, and like I think you've you've hit on something that's key there is that you've developed the skill of it. It's not natural. No, accepting loss is not natural. Accepting death is not natural. Like. Don't get me wrong. When my mum died, I wanted to run. Like I, I mean, that a literal physical urge to get me the fuck out of here, get me in a bar. I want to destroy myself. I want to destroy the world. I want to pick a fight with a stranger. You know, I, I want to destroy myself. You know, and that was there. That was my first reaction. You know, and then almost instantly, because it's the skill I've taught myself, then that still small voice comes in. You were dad. Your son's watching you. Your wife needs you. Your family needs you. Your brother needs you. You know, man the fuck up. Saying a lot of people don't like it anymore. I like I love that saying. It's like, no, man the fuck up. There are certain times in your life when you get to be a man, not just by physical appearance, but you get to be a man. There's certain things that happen with like that now is the time to be a man. And I knew in that moment that that was gonna be a pivotal moment for me. How I reacted to that death was gonna be a pivotal moment for me. And if I didn't get it right, there'd be consequences that would last a generation, perhaps, you know. I'm glad you just said that saying, because it's something we can unpick actually. So what does being a man mean to you? It's a good question it's 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 many things you know if you want to if you want to describe manhood and masculinity by a set of traits and for me manhood is is the the ability to fight and i mean emotionally and physically as well we can get into that a lot of these things on the surface sound trite until you unpack them it's stoicism 
It's the ability to to be resilient. It's the ability to have acceptance that hard times are going to come. Um, it's the ability to put yourself second and those around you first. Um, and obviously, I'm not saying these tra- these traits are exclusive to man of the masculinity, but um, you know, women can have those traits too. But they are certainly fundamental to masculinity. You know, um, putting first things first, finding out what your purpose and meaning is in life. You know, and you know that if you compare. The, the men of our grandfather's generation to the 18, 19 year olds I see walking around now. And I'm not demeaning them, but you, your masculinity is a dying thing. And this is, in society, masculinity is a dying thing. You know, if you look at the statistics, the, the statistics are, uh, are heartbreaking for fathers that aren't in the home, children that are raised by single mothers, you know, their, their chances of, of being incarcerated raised by 50%. Their chances of drug abuse raised by 50%. Their chances of not going to university raised by 50%. Or, and why? The common denominator is, uh, is that the man isn't in the home. You know, masculinity is an essential structure of society. And that's why it makes me so angry when we seem to be bombarded with, you know, these these calls of toxic masculinity. And it's just, it, it's it's nonsense. It's nonsense. We get toxic men and toxic women and toxic traits. But for me to really be a man means you, you need to be self-aware. And that sounds trite and cliched, but you tell me the last person you met that was genuinely self-aware. That genuinely, you looked that man in the eyes and you knew before he said a word that that man knew the fuck he was. They knew what his purpose was. It's rare, you know? And when that doesn't happen, you you guys know this, when that doesn't happen, guess where that leads? The end game for that is suicide. Because you can't continue to live with yourself if you don't know who you are. I've yep. tried it. I tried it for 10 years. I couldn't do it, you know? I got close to suicide, you know, on, on, on at least one occasion. So I understand it very well. If you don't know who you are, you can't live like that, especially as men. There's something in us as men. You know, I don't even, I don't have the vocabulary to even describe it. But you guys will know there's, there's something in our core, isn't there, that wants to achieve and to excel and to be the provider and the protector and all of these things. Um, and we don't encourage those traits anymore. You know, I've got stoic tattooed on my, on my head. I mean, for me, that's a huge one. Stoicism and truth. The, 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 those are things that your man should be, should be rooted in. I think the reason why I got you to say that, and, and I'm glad you said and articulated exactly how you did, there's even anything in life, right? And I'll say, it's okay to talk, because I say for one category of people, that is the guy who I just try to get on with it and it gets to a point where they've bottled up that much shit, eventually, at some point, it's going to go, and it can go down uh, a dark route for them. So by them opening up, that helped them on the first step to self-awareness. The second group of people already talk about it, right? They That's all they do is talk about it. Yeah. Like, I do nothing about it. And same with the saying, so if you flip that back to man up, right, there's two sides I, I say that. To myself so there's one is is where someone says man which means just get on with it right whatever you're going through just get on with it that's the negative side of man up right that's basically mm-hmm. saying that is um you're dealing with your mom so what that's not that's not how life should be should be so what right but the flip side is is, is okay as a man now as a father i still have to move on i still have to yeah. move forward should we say forward's the best way of saying it so i have to move forward so in order to move forward who do i have to become to move forward so man up to me, I think in one sense it could be used negative, in the other it's positive. And now they try to ban that word. They're saying, don't ever use that saying. And I'm like, no, it's used right. And if someone understands it, actually, what does what does man up, what does it mean to be a man? Until you tell someone to man up, you've got to ask what it means to be a man. And it's not about being tough and just getting on with it. It's being resilient, like you said, and resilience is the ability to deal with shit. So what we're saying yeah. to people, it's your ability to go back and deal with the loss of your mom, loss of your job, the loss of your partner. I know yeah. Andy you better relate very well to Neil because what Neil said there is, is you've been through very, very similar, haven't you? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously I lost my dad um, 
when would it be coming up to 12 years ago um and it was very much my attitude around that time around man up was almost pretend it don't happen you know put a front on and that was almost my take on man up at that time um and like i say it was i remember myself and my brother who'd been in the room and, and been there when my dad had actually died we walked out of that room and we almost you know we talk about it quite a lot we put a mask straight on and we started laughing and joking and cracking stuff and thinking to ourselves that these nurses must just think who are these two lunatics it's, you know they've just watched their dad die and they're coming out as if they've you know had the greatest day of their lives and that was almost our that that was what we believed manning up to be at that time which was just pretend it's not there crack on with what you've got to crack on with but it's like you just said the more sort of conversations i have the more i, I educate myself around this sort of thing to me manning up and, and to be able to man up is like you said it's to step up it's to make sure that all of those things that need to be done can be done it's to make sure that you know i can put that protective bubble around the other people that might need it a little bit more than i can and i can also welcome in and, and be um what's the word sort of um aware enough to actually turn around and go well, I'm not as resilient in this moment because I'm dealing with grief and I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that. I might need somebody to turn around to and go, can you help me? You know, that, yeah. that, that side of things. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. In fact, actually, I mean, what you just said about you and your brothers dealing with it via humour, We, me and my brother did exactly the same thing. I remember having a sense of guilt attached to that. I mean, we, my mum and dad have had a brain hemorrhage, so it was instant. She was out on a jog with a PT, went for a run, never came back. That instant. But they kept on um, a life support machine because we'd, we'd agreed to donate her organs. So it was a bizarre situation where my mum was technically alive in this room, but she wasn't going to make it. And we were sat there and we'd, we'd, we were eating dominoes with her sisters and telling funny stories and laughing. And then there was a sense of guilt, like, oh, my God, what kind of monster am I that I can laugh three hours after being told this news? And, yeah. and that, you know, those things are really confusing. But to come back to the man up thing, I think you're absolutely right. And you guys have a stop on where it's good to talk, which, again, is absolutely correct. But there's, it's like anything, and this is the thing that people don't speak about, is that everything has its limits, okay? Is it good to talk? Yes. But what's the purpose of talking? Well, the purpose of talking in terms of your emotions and your feelings and the, the difficulties you experience, the purpose of that is to deal with them so you no longer need to talk. When you go to therapy, I spent two years in, in um, psychotherapy. The purpose of my therapy was to no longer need therapy. That was the purpose of it. Literally, the end goal. It's a bizarre paradox. The purpose of this thing is to no longer need this thing. Um so, and I think people get lost in that constant needing to talk. And that's where the stoicism and the resilience comes in. You know, and one of the things that I found helpful with the way that I see the world and, and, and communicate with the world around me is I ask myself what the alternative is. What's the alternative? What's the alternative to me manning up, if you like, and dealing with my mum's death quickly and, and being a father and a husband, all those other roles that I had to think. Well, the alternative to that is that I crumble. If I crumble, my children don't have a father for the two or three months that I'm out of the game. And my wife doesn't have a husband. And my business doesn't have a, a leader. So I don't have that luxury. And I think that's a really deep part of being a man that we don't speak about. Sometimes you don't have the luxury of grief. You know? Sometimes you've got to grieve whilst being a dad. You've got to grieve whilst being a dad and running the business. You know? And that, it's a real difficult thing for people to understand because there is this... Okay, I've seen this a few times. I'm sure you guys have as well. I had a friend who was a friend of a friend last year. His dad died. Um, his dad was a really, really good man, a vicar, actually. Really great man, lived a great life. This man, same age as me, 40 years old, couldn't deal with the death of his father. You see it on the surface. Okay, it's understandable. You can't deal with the death of your father. 
he went on a six month bender. Um, cocaine, he was prostitutes, it's cliched, but he, all of it. He had three kids at home, he had a wife. He went and destroyed his entire life rather than facing what the, you know, the, the, the death of his father. And the issue I have with that is that the world, on the one hand, said, Well, it's understandable, look at what he's going through. And we need to reverse that thinking, go, No, the feeling to do that is understandable, the desire to go and destroy yourself is understandable. You doing it is plain fucking selfish. And the irony is, is that you do that because you can't handle the death of a man who, if he was still here, would be so disgusted with the way his son had behaved that he wouldn't do it anyway. You know, the best way to honor the dead is to live your life so fucking well. You know, that's how you, that's how I honor my mum. I, I, I'm going to try and be the best man that I can be to honor my mum, so she can say, "Look, look what I've, I've raised a good man. He's a you know, he's a good father." The, 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 and we don't do that, you know. And we excuse it. We use grief as an excuse. And we use pain as an excuse. And we use suffering as an excuse. Well, I was abused. Well, I, you know, my mum died or my dad died. It's like, yes, these are all terrible things. And don't get me wrong. There's a season for grief. I'm not saying there isn't. There's a season for it. But we need to teach people that it's just that. There's a season for it. And then there's a time to shut up and man up and get your head down and get back in the game. I think the, uh, the best bit of that for me there is where you're saying, you know, we're all going to go through grief. You know, mm-hmm. every one of us. Um, how we respond to it, that's our choice. You know, whether you decide to go on a six-month bender or if you decide to put your head in your work, like everyone gets a choice every single day over any tragedy they go through. So let that pain use them and do something really negative, go out, get smashed, which long-term does nothing for your life, right? Or short-term, you know, you take that pain, but you use that pain as motivation the other way around. Rather than that pain use you, you use that pain. So who can I become... Uh, in memory for my mum, you know what? How would my mum respond to a situation like this? You know, I, what can I do in order to better the world as a result of this pain I'm going through? And and that's how my man club started initially. You know that. Mm-hmm. And now how it's driven now is is other guys come. I've got a lot of pain going on, and that's how you get the strong leaders and his man club because the ones who end up becoming the facilitators, even the ones who become facilitators after only being there a week or two weeks, they come, they go bang, they offload, they get it all out, and they go. I'm feeling I'm feeling a lot better now because actually I've got it out there. I've bottled up for years, but I've got it out there. I've done some acceptance. I've used the questions to benefit me. Actually, how can I help someone else now? I've been through this. Yeah. I'll help another man now, and then suddenly you know that's how the groups grow organically. But they exactly. take learning from it within the sessions as well, and then they don't just save it for a Monday night. It's not just the, the, yeah. you know, they take the things that have been said to them in that session, or that they've said that they you know something that happened to me definitely when I started with Andy's Man Club was. The more I talked, the more I started to work out some of the things within my own head. Yeah, You know, you sort of talk your way through it as you're talking. And as soon as you realise, actually, I don't just have to save that for Monday night. I can do that at home with my missus. I could do that to my mates when we do go out for a beer. I can do that, you know, yeah. that can become, and those lessons that you take and those become part of your day-to-day life. And, and that's what it's all about. Like I said, it's, it's about making sure, like you say, Luke, that you don't let that use you. You take what you need from it and you take it and, and do what you need to do with it. We had um, Ricky on here, didn't we? Yeah. And he, you know, tragically, horrendous what he's going through right now. His wife of 12, 12 years. Yeah, 12, 13 years when Joe have been together. He's a friend of mine, he's Ricky, so, yeah. Unbelievable mentality what he's got, of what he's going through, the storm he's going through. And, you know, I know, I could see the emotion in his eyes every day. But he said something that just really resonated with me. And he says, like, one thing I've learned from this is that, like, if I don't want to do something from now on, I'm not doing it. Mm. If, you might have seen the video. If I want to do something from now on, I'm doing it. He said, yeah, it's yeah. Me from now on, I'm telling them. 
It's yeah. what makes me happy from now on. I'm telling him, you know, yeah. if, I get, if I want to get 100 pictures on a night out, I'm getting them because he is one of me and our lads, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, it, and and it made me think, and, it, and it's so true, and, and I said this to someone the other day, I said, and you said it a minute ago, like, how many people truly live like they're going to die? And, and after a series of deaths in my own life, I truly each day have that in my head, and I said to my missus, however, like, what is it? We're having an argument for, for nothing here. Like, <laughs> and, and like, most people leave it to a funeral, and they go to a funeral, they see all the family, God, we need to keep in touch with my God, I'm, you know what, I'm living for a day from now on, and then a few weeks after that motivation eventually wears off. Yeah. All it is, it's a little, a little boost of motivation. You're going to do something for someone else in the memory, and then eventually it's like, like at first it'll have been, I'm going to do it for my mom. The fact is, you kept doing it to be a better dad. Um, and, and then because that's relevant and it's here now, you can continue that. And I, I, I have these type of debates all the time with people about man up and about all this other stuff uh, because it, it's controversial to a lot of people because and it's only controversial because they've been fed one ideology that they think that the masses are involved with. So that means that everyone must get on that road. But, you know, and we don't teach people about medication, uh, um, Andy's man club, but last week we had on Manuel, who's been through his storms, and he spoke about medication and, and the impact of that. And, and we let him go with it because for every different person out there, everyone's going to have a different f- theory, but everyone's going to perceive it different as well. And what yeah. we're trying to do is by doing this podcast is someone who sat at home now listening, they look at you and they go, ah, do you know what? I, I need to get my ass in gear. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah. Even, I need to not talk about it anymore. Not actually, I can still go on his mug up on a Monday. But what I do, yeah, absolutely, what I do Tuesday, Sunday. That's on me, you know. And that's well. This is the, this is the, this is the thing a lot of people don't realize, or if we do, realize it's not spoken about. Is that so much of our lives are lived in the reactive mode. So much of it is reactive. Something has occurred to me now. I need to do something back. So little of our lives is spent in preparation for those things because there's nothing worse than being reactive. You know, being reactive is awful. I want to be proactive always, you know. And I think. We, we look we lie to people as a culture that's what we do you know it's been more prevalent in the last 30 or 40 years we just we lie to each other we bullshit each other you know and we do it via instagram and we do these nonsense memes about you know you are enough remember you are loved today you are beautiful you can do anything you want it's a lie you know it's never too late it's a lie there comes a point when it's too late yeah you know you can't do anything you want and if we teach people this is bullshit but the reality is there are things inside of you that are present that are not present in anybody else. And if you can harness them, you can do, you know, you can do whatever it is you, you, you choose to do. But it's, um, look, the part of the journey that I had to go through was realising that most of my persona was bullshit. It was just bullshit. And it wasn't actually a true representation of me. It was little bits of my religion, bits of my culture, bits of my friends, bits of past, past girlfriends, bits of who I thought I should be. None of it was, maybe 5% of it was an actual representation of who I wanted to be. And... I had to go through a real brutal journey of literally, literally tearing myself apart to see which bits were really me, which bits were still. And that's the, the bad bits as well. You know, I had to go, yeah, you can be a manipulator, Neil. You can be a bully. You know, you can tell lies. Maybe you're too comfortable with that. There was parts of me that were horrific to admit were parts of me. But until I did that, I couldn't ever bring the goodness forward, you know. And people just don't want to do that. People don't want to do that. It's deeply uncomfortable to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I could be a better father. Who the fuck wants to admit that? The biggest role of your life, and you, you could be better at it? What kind of animal are you? You know, And that's how you think. And it's like, but until you do that, you can't ever go forward. You know, And we need to really start by telling people the truth. And the truth is, is that life is hard. It's brutal. It's far more brutal than it is peaceful. You know, And you better be battle ready. 
and the storm, like you said before, the storms are going to come. And if they're not here now, that they're coming. They're going to come for you. Life's going to come. Life's going to bring all of us to our knees several times before we die. And we need to find a way to prepare young men, especially young men, and to prepare them for that reality now so that we're not having these suicide epidemics and these mental health epidemics, you know? And when you look at the reasons behind most of the suicide statistics um, and, and the, the main reasons for depression, these are things that, generally speaking, I'm not talking about the 1% or 2% of general mental health, but these are reasons that, generally speaking, can be underpinned by instilling strength resilience in people and encouraging them to find meaning and purpose you know when you have no meaning and no purpose in your life when hard times come of course you're going to run of course you're not going to want to be there anymore you're not anchored to anything you know and we don't teach people that we just don't teach them that we 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 use love and compassion seem like amazing qualities and they are don't get me wrong but love and compassion and empathy when taken to their logical conclusion they become cancers you can love somebody to death. You can empathize with somebody to death. You can show compassion to death. You know, the, those love, compassion, and empathy are the starting points for conversation always. Um, but you don't want to stay there too long. You know, what we need to do is make people stronger, not make life easier. And I think at the moment, the conversation, especially even within the medical profession, the conversation is how do we make your life easier? How do we make your life less cluttered? How do we make it simpler? How do we get structure in? It's like, no, 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 no. no. Life is hard it will be hard no matter whether you're rich black gay straight poor whatever the real question is how do we make you stronger not how do we make life easier and nobody has that conversation i know and that is something that now everything's faster than ever before you know everyone wants it quicker than ever before easier than ever before and that, and that is when when something does go against you and i understood the love and compassion thing and you know that in, and i get where, where you go with that like some people love a partner uh, mm -hmm so much and give them so much love and no matter how much the love they give them there's still that toxic energy in their life and absolutely they'll drive that right into the ground well the thing is with with truth is you know, look, look, we're not a culture that sells the truth we don't tell the truth about anything we're a, we're a culture that relies very heavily on our feelings and our emotions you know and that's yeah, what we're at with the truth, there? you know in this so, country, we live in a country where people are actually offended by the truth oh yeah it's, it's unbelievable i mean the, the, the truth has become a dirty word and the thing is there is look, truth is the most redemptive force on the face of the earth. Yeah. And unless you face the truth about who you are, who you have been and who you could yet become, you will never, ever, ever be the kind of man that you want to be. You just won't. It's that simple. And what we need to do, you know, if you love me and if you care about my well-being and the, the well-being of my partner and the well-being of my children, then you better tell me the fucking truth. No matter how brutal that truth is, you better tell me the truth. Yeah. Because that's on you. If I don't take it, that's fine. That's on me. Yeah, but if you love me, you better tell me the truth. And I, and I mean brutal, brutalize me with the truth. Don't hide behind compassion. Don't hide behind fake love. Because those things feel nice and it seems nice on the surface. But we owe it to each other to tell each other the brutal truth about who we are. That is the only way that we can grow as men. On that, there's, uh, there's always that funny one, isn't there, where your missus or ex-missus will say, do I look good in this? <laughs> yes, right? Uh, yeah. I find what my missus will say, yeah, you look, no, you, you know I do. All right, <laughs> there you go, talking, knocking me confidence. <laughs> <laughs> you got the truth or not? No, it's true. It's true. I mean, like, I'm glad. I mean, I was in that place as well, but I'm glad now I'm in a place where I'm so comfortable with the truth, you know, in all its guise, whether it's good or bad or vile. I'm like, yeah, cool, just, you know, just hit me with it. Just hit me with the fucking truth. Like, you know, I know who I am now at this stage in my life. You know, I, I, can, I can hear the truth. But even those things, like, it's a, it's a funny example 
But I honestly think those things matter. When you get the fundamentals right on the little things, you know, the micro things, it manifests itself in the macro things. Like it really does. It really does. And now when people ask me questions, they know they can trust me because they know that I would tell them the truth no matter how brutal it was. I won't invite you out for tea then. Neil, said I, again. I won't invite you out for tea. Neil, what do you think to your meal? Shit. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I've had two divorces. That'll tell you what they thought of the truth. <laughs> I'm yeah, mate. You're up. Facilitator time. I knew it was coming. Don't worry. I've got my questions. Just let me re... Uh, there we go. Uh, oh, well, do you know what? First three, I don't need, do I? I should well, have them. You should know by now that we first three stayed the same for the last four years. So. Yeah, it's only three years <laughs> I've been involved. Um, so, yeah, first one is how's your week been? Um, my week this week has been pretty solid. Um, I've been getting a little bit more involved and a little bit more active um, with the cycling challenge that Andy's Man Club set up. It was, you know, judging by what we've just been through, it should have been something I was doing for myself anyway. You know, looking at myself, it should have been something that I was uh, a little bit more active with anyway. But the fact that I've been given that catalyst and I've been getting out there and I've, I'm feeling the benefits from it, other than a bit of a sore ass from my saddle. Um, but, uh, you know, I can deal with that. Um, so, yeah, on the whole, my week's been pretty solid. What about you, Luke? Decent. Um, yeah, just... Just then, do you know what? I'm enjoying this time. I, I was thinking about something Neil said then, a video I found um, where I did an ultramarathon. And on the ultramarathon, I give the three reasons why, and I never released that bit like on its own. And it said the three reasons why I'm doing this is, uh, and it said one of them were like, once I show my kids what dad says he's going to do, he does it. So he backed up what he says. The second one was for Andy's man clubbing on going through a storm. Yeah, and I said the third one, and it only came back it was a year after I did it the other day. And he said, the third reason I'm doing this is, is to build calluses on my own mind. So that when life hits me tough, I'm ready to go. And the callous bit comes from David Goggins. And it yeah. was like, so I'm ready to go. And and lockdown, and it was really weird. And it's only just hit me uh, when I listened in about getting yourself ready. When lockdown came, and I I were like, um, I were like, when you go about going to war, I were like getting sandbags out at home, like literally saying, Mrs. Right, he's coming, let's get ready. So we're getting finances sorted, or we're getting it all sorted, what we're going to have to do at home. And and overall, if I were to judge how this period, even though like every business is shut, I have no complete uncertainty. Like we're good. Like you know, overall, we've so much uncertainty going on, and no idea of like when the what the future holds. Even though we don't know really what the future is in general. Like good, a lot of I've done a lot of uh, discovery myself, and and what I am, you know, what my weaknesses are as a, as a man, you know, and what I need to improve on. Um, yeah. So overall, yeah, and even as a dad, you know. I, <clears throat> I, I know where, where my flaws lie now. I know where my what I need to work on and I and I'm on with that at a minute and, and I'm enjoying that and I'm enjoying I'm enjoying learning more about myself and to be honest here, I'm enjoying riding this this out even more uh, and continuing this long after lockdown. So when I first started doing what I do, it were a lot about uh, self development and I probably took foot off gas with that and put it all into everyone else. You know, doing everything for everyone else. Stop looking at me. Stop learning myself. And I've started getting some more books out now. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. Good, good. What about yourself, Neil? How's your week been? Good. Um, yeah, good. It's um, the world sort of merging into one at the moment, aren't they? It's I'm enjoying being with the kids more. Um, so that's that's been one positive that's been consistent all the time. Although, I mean, speaking about where you thought I was a dad, I've realised the last couple of weeks that actually after a certain amount of time, I really struggled to be present with my kids. And that's a real difficult thing to admit, but I've, 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 and I've realised it. The later we get in the day, and I'm, I'm maybe looking at my phone a bit too much, and you know, my son's trying to speak to me, and I'm just giving him one word, and I'm just going, yeah, no problem, mate. And I'm like, and then 
it hit me the other day. I did it, and he walked out, and it's the first time I'd ever noticed it. I noticed that kind of like that sad face, that dropping of his jaw a little bit. It's like shit, shit. I've, he's, and he's he's only eight, so he hasn't got the the, the vocabulary to articulate what you just explained. Like I put my phone down straight away. I said, like, "No, come, come back, come back. Show me what you're going to show me." And it's like Jesus Christ, Neil. You've got to be aware of that. You know, and I do that a lot, and I'm not aware of it. And I think sometimes we underestimate just how much our children see and just how much they notice. You know, so that's a difficult thing to admit. But it's like, yeah, you know what? Sometimes I find it difficult to, to be present all the time with my kids. So, you know, I'm working I'm working on that more. But in terms of everything else, it's it's been good. You know, we've been we're doing work on King Kobe that we've been meaning to do for months, some of it years, and just not at the time. So we've been doing that and planning. Um, and really, I've been plotting my way out. You know, because I don't know about you guys, but it's my plan is, is not to work for the rest of my life. And, you know, I've got goals I want to hit and financial goals I want to hit. So I've been working on my on my get-out plan. Nice. You know, on that one there, I bet there's not a parent watching this who can't say that they don't also struggle with what you're saying. But yeah. I can guarantee you that none of us, even like to, you say it and you cringe, don't you? That, mm. and, and the reason why I'm jumping in is because my little girl over there, baby, we get up every day at the same time, 5.51, she's up. My missus will argue sometimes to stop exaggerating. She got up at half six today, right? But it's never <laughs> not, not on time. In bed with us and she'll sleep a little bit longer. My missus is away saying that I didn't get up early when I tried throwing her face later in the day, right? But my little girl kept, like, she kept grabbing me every day and I was trying to do something like reply to an email or something. And she kept like, and eventually I looked at her and the question went from me is I said, what the fuck are you doing? Whatever you're doing on this phone actually means nothing. And then when I looked at her and the smile she gave me in general, she's only 18 months old, like lit me up and I says, that's where the gratification is. That's where the affection, there. I'm with you on that. And that's one of the things I were, I were alluding to when I'm looking at like what my flaws are as a dad. And I bet a lot of people feel like that. Oh, huge. And it's just, it's like what we said before, but the truth thing is, it's, um, you've got to be prepared to, to, to figuratively strip yourself naked. You've got to be prepared to do that. And it's, it's, it's a brutal thing to do, you know? Look, there's nothing more important. In fact, I've got a theory. I'll tell you what my theory is. It's, um, <clears throat> and I've, 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 I've only just started kind of fleshing out. I think I spoke about it before. It's that we claim all the time to love our children, love our wife, love our partner, love our business, et cetera, et cetera. And for whatever reason, I became kind of obsessed with what, well, what the fuck does that mean? And what does love mean? And what, how should love be manifest? How should that express itself? How should that... You know, what should that look like in reality? What does love look like? Is that, you know, I love my children, obviously. But what does that mean? And how is that affecting their life? And how can I claim to love my children if there are things in my own life that I know I'm not doing or engaging in that would have a negative effect on them? Or vice versa, I'm not doing things that would have a positive effect on them. But I claim to love them. And we say all the time, don't we? I would die for my kids. I would die for my kids. I would die for my wife. I would die for my husband. Say so, no, no. My children need me to live for them, and sometimes I struggle to live for them. Sometimes I struggle to live for my to live for the things I believe in. And it's like you better be fucking really, really careful who you claim to love, because someday you have to prove you, that. If my little boy walks into the room, <laughs> bless him. Okay, mate. Drop your leg Ten minutes. Nice one. Good <laughs> <laughs> old swearing then. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so aware and it's like I love my children and I, I'm a big believer in this and I know it's a, it's a it's a harsh concept and I get it you love your children yeah I love my children you smoke 30 cigarettes a day 
you know, you know categorically that you're taking years off your life. How much do you really love your children? I love my children. You, you tend to stand overweight. You have been for 15 years. How much do you really love your children? I love my children. Okay. You've been struggling with depression for 15 years. You've not done the things you know. You haven't even turned up in your own recovery. But I love my children. It's like, really? It's like, really? Are we going to be, let's be honest about this. You love your children the way that we all do. It's biological. I love my children. You know, I, don't, I haven't seen my father for 18 months. I know my father loves me. I know he does, you know, but that love isn't enough. And another lie we tell each other in this culture, love is all you need, love is enough. No, it's not. Love's the fucking bare minimum that you need. It's like, we need to get really serious about how the love for our children and our wives and our husbands and our, our, our family friends, um, how that love manifests itself and whether you really can claim to love those people the way that you do. And the reality is I've done that and it's agony to do it. It's agony because you go, no, no, I'm not all engaged. I'm not fully in on the things I claim. I'm not living my life the way I believe it. And at some point, my eight-year-old son, and I think about this every fucking day, at some point, my beautiful little boy, he's going to be 16. And he's not going to look at me as dad anymore. He's going to look at me as a man. And he's going to understand man things then. And when I say to him, go out there, son, take the world on. You can be anything you want to be. And he's going to look at me and say, well, why didn't you, dad? Why didn't you? And all the love in the world at that moment is going to make no better difference, you know? We need to we need to help each other, really genuinely help each other become the embodiment of the things we claim to believe in, because it's so important and there's so much riding on it. Love it, love that. Question number two, then that was quite a question. Oh, shit, sorry, at all. Sorry, mate. Oh, yeah. I just, uh, I just oh, hijack the questions. No, to, to hijack away. That, like I said, it, it, as Luke said earlier, it's about giving people uh, that sort of hope and that fire. If we can light fire in their bellies. That uh, soundbite in it, you know, Definitely. a bit about uh, not turning up to your recovery. Do you know, like a guy who comes to his man club once and goes, No, I would be uncomfortable. That you know, if he don't come again, you know, again, or you know, not even on his man club, don't go to a fitness class to get himself in that condition. Does he truly love you know, because being a leader in any sense, you know, you got to start with yourself and being the best version of yourself. Uh, but yeah, so I, I love that. I've got something to say on that, but I'll, yeah, do the question first. Now, yeah, all right. Uh, question number two is: What's one positive from your week? Um, <laughs> it's becoming quite a constant positive in my week the last couple of weeks. But I've um, I've taken over facilitating the newbies group as far as Andy's Mankle on a Monday. I buzz off that. It's similar to what you've just said there, Luke. The um, you know the guys that come in and you can see they're visibly uncomfortable, but by the end of it, they've sort of gone well. You know, I wanted to do so. I wanted to change something. I wanted to change the circumstance that I'm in. I wanted to make a, a positive, um, you know, change to my life. And that, you know, positivity breeds positivity. And it, it just, I love it. I love being a part of that and to see the support those guys give each other. You know, it's like nothing else. Um, and I love it. So, yeah, that, that's becoming a pretty positive um, in my week, every week at the moment. That's good. About yourself, Luke? Uh it's got me in my camper van. <laughs> I'm jealous of that, by the way. I've always wanted to do that. It needs it needs a good tidy now because we've been non-stop in it lately. And I just, you know, my missus wasn't a fan of it. So my missus, when she first first brought her out, I brought her once it wasn't fully done up to Upwood, which is on top of a couple on top of uh, like Bradford Moors, and it was raining and windy. So it's like being stuck in the back of a van, right? And then the second time we went to the French Alps. But she said she loves, you know, got a friend. She loved it. The French Alps were awesome. But again, 
you're getting from you're going walking snow thing into this tiny little space. You know, want want the ideal things to uh, visualize. Well, this week we've been constantly in it, uh, but going to places like where we can pull up, open door, get all food out of the fridge, lay a picnic down, and bang. She's like, I like. Now do you like it? And she's like, I love it. Like I love it. <laughs> she can understand now where the vision was with it, and like even the kids, you know, there's just space just to let them chuck out in the bikes, anything, and just just go and. Um, you know, Neil was talking about that, that exit strategy earlier and, and where he's wanting to go. And, and, and I think about it a lot, um, which we can go into on the, on the off-road bit later. But, you know, sometimes like when, how do I say it? You know, the positive would be it's, it's, that, it's, the, it's the van and uh, being able to have that freedom. Go, do you know what? It's something. Uh, I love that. Nice one. Uh, positive from your week, mate. Um... You know, yesterday actually was a real positive and um, I had a bit of a, a, a nice little profound experience with my son. So my son, Kobe, is at that age now where he's, he, he's into everything. He wants to be everything. He wants to be a wrestler, a skateboarder, a surfer, a taxi driver. He wants to make pizzas. He wants to be everything. So at the moment, he's, um, he's, he's really into skateboarding. And I've got a big ethos about teaching my children to be tough. It's a, it's a big, big theme in my house about his, his toughness. Um and he's, he, thankfully, he's a tough kid. And we, we, I took him to the skate park um, with his sister, and we were there around there, and it was full of just fully grown men as well. You know, and I kind of thought, you know, I was a bit intimidated, let alone this little eight-year-old. And he, he strolls in, and I just watch him eat dirt for 25 minutes, just like really, you know, hurtful falls. And twice I watch him in tears, yeah, and I watch him. And I've got this thing where if my children are crying, unless they're bleeding or dying or a bit by a car, I won't run across. I'll give them a few minutes to see if they can fix it themselves before I go across. And I see him kind of try to wipe his eyes away. And he's trying to hide it and he gets straight back up and doesn't even look at me. Goes straight back onto the ramp, gets to the top of the ramp, turns around to see if I'm looking at him and just gives me a little smile with a tear coming down his face. Like, good lad, good lad. You know, just, just, just tough. And it's, one, it was validation that the things that I say to him he's listening to, you know, and two, it was just a nice thing to go, you're going to need that toughness later on and you're eight and you already figure it out, you know, so it was a bit of a proud dad moment, so that's kind of made my week. Nice. Love that. Uh, question number three is, is there anything you need to get off your chest? Like I said, I'm in a pretty fortunate position at this moment in time. I don't really have anything uh, holding me down, you know, to, to such a degree that I need to share it, so I'm, I'm good. But it's awfully... Uh, mine would be, um, I think sometimes I get caught up on what I'm doing. And I say to my missus sometimes, and I, you know, I talk about it sometimes when I do talks about expectation versus appreciation. You know, because I get up early with kids, um, well, every day, uh, I'll use that later on in the day maybe to throw some at her. Um, like, you know, if we're having an argument, well, I get up with kids. Right? And then uh, she just called me out, point blank, with her. I to her, says, every time we've been out in this van, you don't ever help tidy up. And she went, well, what, and she started then asking me, well, what do I do? Right? She'd said, and it, it started, she went, do you ever put clothes away from dryer? Went, no. Do you ever, and literally this list, started <laughs> at that moment, you think, why the fuck did I say anything? I was <laughs> like, fucking hell, she does a fair bit here. Like, a lot, like, I didn't know that, that that's how those clothes ended up there. Like, we really, <laughs> first floor, we have a front room and dining room, it's all in one thing. So, like, Sometimes we'll just get clothes, like if kids are getting them ready for bed, take the clothes, chuck it on stairs, and then you walk upstairs when you bring them to bed, you grab them and put them away. And these clothes always just disappear. 
right? <laughs> and she's like, none of that, none of that. Just you know, it just it's not my areas that come. And it probably just hit me a little bit, you know, how you can get caught up in yourself, can't you? And think about all oh, what you're doing, and you can not sometimes see that actually. Wait a minute, they they do a lot as well. And then you know those little comments you make probably affect you a bit more of uh, long term than them. You know, you drop stuff into them like that, and it's just not always the the best. So I think I'm going to start appreciating more. And sometimes when you think like say a little smarmy comment, hold it in because uh, long term it's only me that gets affected when uh, yeah, it's true. Besides, it's a no tonight. I'm trying to think of something. I don't. I, I, I kind of live so openly that I never really have that much on my chest. I kind of, I, if I do, I do it in the moment. And um, like I said before, I've sort of cleared my mind of almost everything that's not relevant. There's never anything really that's that's there that needs to be done. So a bit of a boring answer for you, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. No, I like that. Like I say, it's a, it's a, it's a good answer to have because I think sometimes with this question, it's quite easy for people to stand there and think, right, what's bothering me? What, and they can almost, it can almost become a trivialised... Yeah, they'll try and think of something to uh, give, just to give the answer. If it's, you know, if it's there, it's there and it needs sharing. If it's not there, then it can't be weighing you down too heavily. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so question number four then. Um, what is one setback or failure that has now set you up for a future success. And I think we've touched on, you know, quite a lot of these today, really. It's, uh, it's mad. I just sort of picked this question out at the start of the session and then we've almost answered it throughout. But I think one of mine would be, you know, like I discussed earlier, it would be around the passing of my dad. Um, and those sort of, like I said, those behaviours and those attitudes that I started to display there, a few years after that, I challenged him myself and it took somebody else, unfortunately, to notice a change in me. It was my brother at the time who said, you need to do something about the the, the way that you're behaving and all the rest of it. And it was, uh, you know, going along and, and, you know, opening up and changing the ways that I was dealing with things. Um, like I said, it, it, rather than sticking that mask on every single day and going out, it's almost like look underneath that mask every now and again, you know, see yeah. Like, not too dissimilar from what you talk, spoke about earlier, Neil, looking inwardly. Um, yeah. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are, there are many things that obviously you've discussed there that I'm, I'm going to take away and, and, you know, try and look look inwardly again um, and see if I can challenge myself on a couple of things. And, you know, like you said, but that was something that happened to me, like I say, around about 10, 15 years ago after my dad were dying, um, that I've now taken to, to change my outlook <laughs> on day to day. So... Uh, one that I've probably been uncomfortable saying uh, ever um, because of the I'll, I'll explain uh, Andy Dine would be the one a lot of people because of what I do now uh, think that everything I do is because my brother-in-law died and you know that any success I have is because of this charity I set up so I've always been uncomfortable ever thing but what I mean by, by it is like having the camper van I've only got now because Andy died, right? Quitting rugby, which I no longer want to do, I did because Andy died, right? So Andy dying hasn't put me in any better financial situation. That's not what I'm judging my success by, right? But what Andy dying made me realise is, is is that we get this one shot, don't we? So like any little pipe dream you've got, fucking do it. Do it. And, uh, I had a debate with someone before about the coffee shop that I had, that I, I've sold now. Someone says, well, you always speak about uh, don't quit on your dreams. You know, that were a dream of yours. You quit on it. I said, no, like I've ticked that off. 
And sometimes with your dreams, they're not always what you think they're going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like then you've got to come down to like if you're in a business, clever business, right? So like if you dream, if you judge your dreams on like the emotional side of it, that will ever help you. If you judge it on like if you're doing it as a business sense, like what what that that was. Sometimes you've got to cut your losses, and you know I believe that I all the dream. I'm not going to die with any dreams. Uh, I had three. Um, I probably never really spoke about. Uh, one was a coffee shop. I always want to just try it. It's just an idea, and a lot of people have it. You know, see, you know, I want to go have my own coffee. I can go in and get my own coffee. Not always quite what it seems, though. When you go in, and I still bought my own coffee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're tough at the beginning. The other one was to have a camper van, and the third one is is that uh, eventually I want to live in Spain um, or have some. You know, part time. I'd like to do it. Head out there. I've always got to learn Spanish. It's always been summer, and it all ties into that dream of an outdoor style life. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I'm I'm down the path on two of them, and you know, and a third maybe on the way. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but they're three things that just I've always had. Everyone's got different style of dreams. They're just three itches I call them. I've always got to tick off. And a friend, a trustee of ours, said that. You know, a lot of people have an itch to have a Range Rover, right, or to have a, a certain type of house or a certain type of holiday. And he always says, like, sometimes you've got, to, you've got to take that itch. Even if it might not even set you up for the best situation, itch it, you know. Yeah. And, you know, Andy, yours might be on the bike challenge. You might be like, you've had that itch to get fit, you know. And the running challenge might not be for you. But the bike challenge might be that one way, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it now. And that might be that itch. You go, do you know what, again, I'm going to commit myself to this. And that's what I'm about. Sometimes you've just got to itch that itch. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, I agree. One, one step back off failure. Um, that has set you up for a future success. Um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna pick one. I'm, I'm all of them have, and I don't mean that in a cliched sense. Yeah. I've, um, look, the vast majority of my life has been a failure. You have no issue saying that, but it, it, it has, it absolutely has. I'm not, I'm not in life where I wanted to be. Not, you know, on the eve of my fortieth birthday, I'm not where I thought I would be. Um, I'm not where I'm capable of being. And when I look back, you know, and do a an excavation in my past and trying to figure out the reasons for that it's because of me it's all because of me you know almost all of my failures have been self-inflicted just like everybody else's um the only good thing that's come out of that is that at least for the last five years i've been able to really reinvent myself into something approaching the version of me that i always thought that i could be you know for the first time in for in ever really i'm, I'm i like who i am i'm happy with who i am i'm, I'm content with who i am and don't worry, I'm not done yet. I'm, I'm nowhere near done. But I am now, for the first time in my life, actively engaged in the things that I believe to be true. You know? And and I haven't been. And I I, I think, you know, the, the chat that you guys do, I think that's the root cause of most men's depression. You know, I really, really do. Is that you get these guys, and I was one of them, who believes this, and they believe it passionately, and they have a vision for their life, and a vision of who they should be, and then they have who they actually are and how they actually behave and they just cannot make those two things reconcile with each other you know and that's how suicide happens and that's how depression happens so for me i fucked up most of my life you know the formative years of my life i fucked up my 20s i fucked up and when i when i, I remember that even my 30th birthday my 30s i'm gonna smash it you know and here i am 39 fuck most of it up again you know it's very easy to look on the outside it's easy. you've got all these shops and this big business like that doesn't mean anything trust me you know i know what my failures are but um i'm grateful for them you know i really am and all i can say now is that i'm in the best position i've ever been in to actually try and become the person that you know i, I knew i should have been when i was 20. unreal 
Um, question. Oh, sorry, go on. No, go on. No. No, I was going to. Forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> I was going to say what you were saying, Luke, about people itching for things, whether it's the one which want a Range Rover or the villa in Spain. I used to feel really uncomfortable with that idea. You know, when I was in my twenties and my early thirties, and I was a big socialist. I'd be that guy that was like, well, I'm, I'm not interested in looking good. I'm not interested in a six pack. I'm not interested in loads of money. Um, you know, I'm not interested in driving a, a, a Porsche or any any of those things. And I look back now on the 25, 30 year old me that used to believe that. And I wonder where the motivation for believing those things came from. That almost denigration of people that had financial ambitions or dreams that weren't purely rooted around family. And I think a lot of that, and again, it's something people have to be very honest about, comes from an an unconscious jealousy. I really believe that. I think we have these ideals and we don't want to shoot for those ideals. Because when we have an ideal, I want this life and I want this kind of relationship and I want this much money in the bank. If we set that up, we've given ourselves a demarcation point for failure. Because what does failure look like? Well, there's the ideal. You've either got it or you haven't. And if you haven't, you fail. We don't want to do that. We don't want to set it up for failure. So what we do is we, we, we mitigate that by saying, well, it doesn't matter that I didn't quite hit that target. You know, I've got my kids and I've got my wife and that's, that's great, but I think it's a lie. And I changed my mentality from that to go, no, actually, do you know what? Do you know what it is? It's got nothing to do with the money. It's got nothing to do with the fucking Porsche that I do have having or the nice house or it's got nothing to do with that. What it's got to do with is making the decision as a man to go all in on every aspect of my fucking life. I don't want to earn 30 grand a year if I'm capable of earning 100. I don't want to earn 100 grand a year if I'm capable of being a millionaire. I don't want to be an average dad if I'm capable of being an incredible dad. I don't want three shops if my business is capable of having 400 shops. It's not about the money. It's not about that at all. It's about being the kind of person that says, I am all in. No matter what I do, I'm going to be the, the, the biggest guy in the room, the most well-read guy in the room, the hardest working guy in the room. And obviously, you won't always be those things. But if you aspire to be those things, you're going to get somewhere pretty close to a man that you really respect. Love it. Wow, that, that was definitely worth uh, holding off on this question for. That was amazing. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. No, don't apologise. It's absolutely, uh, like I said, spot on. Uh, question number five, which is a quick fire question then, is uh, how would you pass the time with no electricity? I'm going to sort of think about some of the things we've talked about today, and it would certainly be being more present. Um, you know, we've obviously touched on how technology and, and all those different things can affect on families. And, you know, it would definitely be being more present. And it's not something that I'm going to, uh, you know, just wait for no electricity to have to happen. Like I said, it's something that, you know, we've touched on today. It's something that, you know, like I say, for a long time, I've probably known that I needed to be anyway. So um, yeah, I'll go with that. I love what you did there, Andy, because you answered the, because these are the questions that we use at AMC. And what you did there, well, what a lot of people don't get is, so a lot of people listen to that question, they go, oh, what would I do if there were no electricity? <laughs> Actually, no, like, imagine there's no electricity now and go and do that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mine is, is is one where I know um, we don't speak about religion at AMC, but um, I followed Buddhism for a number and number of years. It's just something that just relates well to me. I say follow, I don't say I'm a Buddhist, because if you follow Buddhism at its true cause, you shouldn't attach yourself to it. But I just like the theories and the philosophies, and I've got two or three books sat next to my bed that stare at me every morning I wake up and stare at me every night I go to bed. And I say to myself, I even took one into the bathroom last night, and I said, right, when I'm in the bath, I'm reading you. And I didn't, right? And it's poor, poor by me. But I, um, if I didn't have no electricity, I'd have my candle lights on like I did overnight, and I'd, I'd get stuck into this book. There's one, just, it's just, uh, one called The Art of Happiness, by the Dalai Lama, and it's just something that 
But what I love about it is it's written by a guy and he just puts it in real world real world terms. It's not all argy bargy, you know, that people won't understand. It's just very simple. You're talking about mindfulness, being present, you know, accepting yourself and some of the topics that we've touched on today that's probably just made me think like you need to you need to be looking at that. That's how I know I'm being a better person when I'm when I'm practicing more. Is happiness something you speak about a lot at AMC? Uh, no, not happiness as such. I, I've got my theories on happiness. I know Andy that I, I talk about a bit about that. You know, I don't think happiness is a destination that you truly get. To. I think, you know, because <clears throat> if you judge your life, I think that's when, when people end up being depressed as well, when, you know, they try and be happy. Because when you try and be happy, you know, it's going to fade. And I use this, I like to use really simple analogies for fun. Like you find a tenor in an old pair of jeans, you're really happy because you're a bit skinned and you're mm-hmm. still tall. And so you're unhappy or you're in a nice, really nice car drive to work when you're allowed yeah. out. And you're buzzing away, you've got a big weekend planned and some someone cuts you up. You're mm-hmm. angry. So it all comes and goes, doesn't it? So uh, yeah. I would say, um, the book's called The Art of Happiness. I'm going to get into it, but I just think, uh, well, Buddhists believe that everyone at the root cause can be happy. Once they've completely unattached, yeah, from everything, which then comes with its pros and cons um, about family. I think it, yeah, I think it's probably impossible to be unattached, but I'm not going to argue with the Dalai Lama. I'll say that. I'll say that from a different day. Yeah. <laughs> happiness as well. Obviously, we don't discuss it as far as AMC is concerned because one person's happiness could be another person's hell as well. Yeah, you know, it's relative to that particular person, isn't it? What what makes one person happy will make another person sad. Upset. No, you're right. You're right. But this is why I think as well something that's, that that isn't done up. We don't have what well, society now. We, we live in an age where truth is obsolete, and by that I mean we the, so the statement you just made there, Andy. Even though it's, it's technically correct, we live in a place where there is no such thing as truth because what's true to me may not be true to you, may not be true to the guy next door, may not be true to the guy at work. And what we've done is we've made truth subjective, and we've done away with all of our foundational principles as, as, as a culture, especially talking about masculinity and suicide, we've done away with anything that can be used as a base. So now there is no such thing as truth. There is nothing that is sacred. There is nothing that is foundational. You know, There is nothing that, that we can build upon because everything is subjective. And when we make everything subjective, we, we, we devolve into chaos. And that's literally what we've done now. And that's why I think it's so important what I try and do with the people that I'm you know, in regular contact with, the guys that come to Meatsford to for advice is to establish some core truths do you know what i mean things that can be true universally for all of us and then build up and then build upon them so you mean talking about happiness for instance the one thing that's true about happiness is that it's fleeting so we all know that it's, it comes and it goes so we start with that start with that as a basis we don't aim the purpose of our lives should not be to aim for anything that is fleeting because you will never obtain it um, so yeah, I just think it's important that we, we look for things that can be universally true and built from that, you know. If we make everything subjective, we have no starting point by definition. And and I think where, you, where you're right in that is, um, Andy, the day, one man's heaven and one man hell. Made me think about my missus. She says that I don't like exercising. I don't yeah. mind clean when I want to lose weight. I don't like exercising. Suddenly, over this lockdown, there's been a, there's been a mindset shift. Right? Even to a point last night is I got home late. She had adult kids. And I, and I said to her, I went, you got a gym, so she went, um, yeah, I'm going to go. You don't need it if you don't want. Like, we'll just, if it, you know, just chill out. Uh, just make it. She went, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to go. Like, And all of a sudden, she's got herself into a habit that she goes in a little gym every day. And she now loves that. It's something she actually looks forward to. So at one point, it was something that she hated. But when we're talking about foundations for people, 
Like, there's a common theme when you get people on here, and however they say it, about stuff that, like Ricky, right? Ricky's whole life is built on his routine, right? Manny even said it on his one, that mm. you know, his routine sets his day up. If you don't do that, it messes his day. So, like, there's certain things, but like most people say, I don't like getting up at 6 a.m. and going for a walk. Yeah, no, neither did Manny when he first started. Neither, you know, I'm telling you now that, that Ricky probably doesn't like getting up at 6 a.m. and having his meals all planned. I used to think, but he knows that that sets him up for the best day possible. Where actually, if people can understand that doing what is uncomfortable isn't negative. No, and that's that, you know, that's so important. It's like um, it was Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but he's, yeah, he had said, um, yeah, yeah, he's incredible. He said, um, almost invariably what people need in their lives is hiding in the place where they least want to look for it. And that's why we do these things. So you're right, one man's heaven is another man's hell. But perhaps hell is exactly where you fucking need to be to get to your heaven, you know? And it's like, it is hell. You know, I, I get up early. I train, you know, I train five days a week. I'm telling you now, four of those sessions I don't want to do. I, I, I don't want to do them. I do them for no other reason than to build mental toughness. It's the only reason. You know, it's not even for aesthetics. You know, and I think if we can teach people, actually, hell's where you want to be. Hell's not a bad place to be at all. That's where you learn about yourself. It's where you learn who you really are. It was Aristotle, whatever, 1,500, 600 years ago, who had said that he, he felt sorry for those men that had never experienced adversity or tragedy, for they never got to see what they were truly capable of. You know, and I think that's, that's a real powerful statement. You know, and so now when bad things come my way, I thrive off it. And I couldn't stand people that said that when I was 30. And these people say, oh, I thrive under pressure. I like it when hard times. I'm like, you fucking idiot. What are you talking about? You know, now I'm more mature and I understand. Like, no, I thrive on it. This gives me an opportunity to prove who I am again. It's given me an opportunity to put another brick in the wall, you know, to put another picture in that montage that I can show my son. Dad did this. Dad overcame this. Dad did what he said he was going to do. You know, and now it's like, right, give me, give me, give me more adversity. Love it. We still had your electricity, no electricity. Answer. Yeah, I was just going I um I do what you do, Luke. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a big reader anyway. I'm a fiend for it. I'm always reading. So I'd I'd, I'd read more, and I would I would I'd go and get lost with my kids somewhere. Go and get completely lost in the wilderness with my kids. Something I've always keep saying I'll do, and I never do. And you know, I'm 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 I realize I'm terrible actually at telling me so. Yeah, we'll do that tomorrow. And it gets to three o'clock, and I've got something else to do, and I never do it. And I've gone. Do you know what? At some point, it's just going to go. My dad's full of shit. I don't want that. You know, so that's what I do. You know, I would just go and spend, and they send that's what I do. That's what I'm gonna fucking do tomorrow because that is in my power to do it now. I don't need Look to wait. Malum. There's a place called Malum. So you're from you're from Leeds, aren't you? Yeah. Third yeah, Malum. Malum's beautiful. Malum went there yesterday. Uh, um beautiful little cove, a little area where you can paddle your feet or swim if that's what you do. I had someone question me saying that I shouldn't be promoting open water swimming. <laughs> you could have become it's that small, but yeah, if that's a great place to go lost with kids. It's random sheep running about, and it's just oh, that's no, I love it. It's well, my son's at the age now, Juno, not so much. I mean, Juno, bless her, she's, she's three, and she's just, I mean, talk about defiant. I don't know where she gets it from. So, with Kobe, my son, I've just got to give him a look, and that kid will shit himself. Just got to give him a look, you know, and it's good. Like, you should be a little bit, you need to be a little bit intimidated by your dad. You need that, you know, and I just give him a look, and he knows. Juno is three. I'll give her the same look and say no, and she just look at me and go, "No, Dad, I'm out. I don't know what to do now. I'm all out. I'm all out of intimidation tactics. Okay. What do I do now to a three-year-old? Just says no. I don't know okay, what to do. Yeah, I've got no idea what to do. But Kobe is at that age now where he's, he's eight, where he's he's asking me questions about life. He's asking me questions that stump me. He's asking me real deep shit, 
And it's like, and I love it. I love spending time with him because he's asking me things about resilience and toughness and, you know, what does this mean and what happens if you're weak, dad? And it's like, wow, this is, this is amazing. You know, it's a really good, it's a really good age to be a dad. Love it. Nice one. Andy, we've got our three, two, one. Yeah, we have. Forgot three, about that. Three, two, one. So three, two, one is how we always end every podcast now in season two. We made it up today. We like it. <laughs> so three, two, one. First one is, 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 is three things you do positively or other people could do positively for their mental health. Three things. Hmm. Three positive coping strategies. See, it's hard not to give you the standard one of the mill generic answers about get outside and do more exercise. Well, no, that might, it might be it. Look, this is, this is the issue I've got. Maybe, I'll, maybe I won't boil it down to three things. Maybe I'll try and boil it down to a philosophy for you. I, I think coming to, to guys like you and his man club, an amazing thing to do. Yeah, an amazing thing to do. Doing what Manny does and encouraging people to get outside and be fit, amazing thing to do. I've got no, no issue with those things at all. They're great starting points. What what I would encourage people to do is to start there, but to be brave enough and humble enough and courageous enough to go one step beyond that, right? Spend some time alone. It's one of the greatest gifts I ever gave myself. Spend some time alone. I mean, really alone. You know, look back on your life. Make a timeline. Go back through every mistake you've ever fucking made. Ask yourself just how much of the tragedy in your life right now you're responsible for. Like, brutalize yourself. You know, go, take yourself into a dark place. It's an awful thing to do, but the rewards are so fucking big. You know, the rewards are so huge. And actually, I would go one stage further and say that until you've done that, until you've really embarked on that journey, you're not really an individual. You're not. You can't possibly be. You know, there was, um, to give you an analogy really quickly, I know you're coming to the end. I've got a, a title, another title, obviously, on the side of my face that says, come on, let's fight. And that comes, are you a boxing fan, either of you? I like boxing, yeah. Right, so you've heard of Mickey Ward on a Chiro Gatti? Mickey Ward. When, when we finish this podcast, I'm going to send you both a link to the round. Mickey Ward and a Chiro Gatti did a fight, I think it was 1999, um, in, in New York. They put on the fight of the century, widely, widely regarded by every boxing official as the fight of the century. The ninth round in that fight was given round of the century, right? These were two white-collar fighters that just... just just it was. I mean, even watching it now, watch. I must watch this fight, this round, once once a week at least, right? And it honestly brings tears to my eyes. There's a moment in that fight. So the entire round, the entire round, Achua guy was a favourite, just getting his ass kicked. And I mean, it's uncomfortable to watch it. He's getting absolutely brutalised by this guy. The referee could step in at any moment and stop it, and he doesn't. And Mickey Ward just keeps coming and coming and coming. It's, it's, it's brutal. And it's violent. And at, towards the end of the round, Gatti gets a little bit of a reprieve. Yeah, and the commentator notices this, and the referee separates them. Okay, and in that moment, Gatti, who just had the shit kicked out of him, beats his chest. Yeah, and roars at him in, in these, these incredible act of defiance. And at that moment, the commentator says these words, which have kind of become famous in, in boxing folklore. He says, Gatti beats his chest with defiance, turns his face towards Ward, and screams, Come on, let's fight. And it, I fucking love it. This man just had the shit kicked out of him. You know, and you turn that into a metaphor for life. That's what we need to teach people. He had this shit kicked out of him. He had nothing left. He wasn't going to win the fight. All he had left was his defiance. And that's such an underrated commodity in humanity. Sometimes all we've got left is a fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. I'm not going to die today. I'm not going to take my own life today. Sometimes that's all you've got is that little bit of defiance. 
you know, and if I could teach people anything, it would be that. Take that white flag of surrender that we all have in the back of our mind. We're all cowards, all of us. The only difference is to what degree we allow ourselves to be a coward. You know, I'm a coward in lots of ways. I, I try to keep that part of me condensed. But there's a white flag in all of us, yeah? Get that white flag and burn that motherfucker. Burn it. Because that's what, what suicide is too. Suicide is a surrender. It's the final surrender. I'm not saying I don't understand it. I understand it intimately. But it's the final surrender. And we don't want to be that guy, you know? So teach these people, teach these young men especially to be brave and to fight and have that defiance where you can beat your chest at life, mm -hmm. when it's taken people from you, when your business has gone bankrupt and your wife has left you or your child's died or these hideous things and you've still got that, fuck you, come on, let's fight, you know? And that's that's a mentality. That's a real life-changing, game-changing mentality. So by all means, go out there and get your 12,000 steps in and, and, and speak to you guys. Great places to start, you know, but be brave enough to go one step further. I love it. Number two, uh, I think you've done it already, already throughout. But two, two key bits of uh, advice. That's good. Two bits of two bits of advice. Um, read, read all the time. It changed my life. Honestly, it changed my life. The more that I read, this is there's a, there's a great quote from um, a guy called James Baldwin, who was a black author in America in the fifties and sixties. Wrote a lot about the civil rights movement. And he wrote a lot about his struggles. And it's a great quote from him that says, all of my life I thought I was alone until I started to read. And I thought, wow, that's so true. All of us, no one could possibly understand the depths of me. Nobody could understand this pain that I'm in. Nobody could understand the suffering that I'm going through. And then you read and you realize that all throughout millennia, men have been experiencing the same things you're experiencing now. And for 9.99 from fucking Waterstones, you can read how they overcame it. For $9.99, you can buy David Goggins' book and be inspired for the rest of your fucking life. You know, read. Read often and you will realise that you're not alone, that the things you're experiencing, although painful, are not unique. You know, and there's some comfort in that. There's comfort in knowing that your pain isn't unique to you. Yeah, and for me, it was a huge comfort. So read. Read frequently. Read all the time. Read as often as you can. One more. Um, take responsibility. I think that's the biggest one, and we don't do it. And if we truly take responsibility, and I mean this, and I'm not talking about all cases, I don't want to generalise. You guys are, are experts on suicide much more than me. But if we truly take responsibility, and I mean truly, on a very, very deep level, if we truly live up to the responsibilities that we have as men, as husbands, as fathers, suicide never becomes an option for you. Because there's something in your life that is bigger than your darkest moment. You know, and it's a brutal thing, because whenever a man takes his own life, it's tragic, and one man is too many. But we have... We have this need within us to sympathise always with the person that's taken his own life. And obviously I understand that. But we have to also reverse engineer it and say, well, how could we have prevented that? How could we have prevented that suicide? But one of the ways we could have prevented it was for that man to be more engaged in his responsibilities. You know, there's nothing that's more heartbreaking than watching a man take his own life who's got two children or who's got a wife. Because it's like that, no, no. You, I'm sure you were a very, very good man. But something, somewhere along the line, you weren't as in tune with your responsibilities as you should have been. And it's not something we talk about, you know? If you're a father, go all fucking in. Go all in. If you're in love with that woman, go all in. Because I promise you, when the hard times come, when they really come knocking on your door, those things will save you. Love it. And this number one is one skill you think people should work on? Communication. Talking. I, I must meet somebody... I don't mean this in an egotistical way, I'm sure it's the same for you guys. I meet somebody every couple of years that I find interesting. Every couple of years that, that knows themselves well enough to communicate back. It's rare, you know? 
and communication requires that we think and we're not a generation of people that think we are so emotionally inarticulate it's crippling you know and that all ties into the suicide and depression epidemic we need to teach people to think critical thought why did you just do what you did why did you say what you said why have you chosen to watch that tv program why is it you're in love with that person why did your business fail think like ask yourself difficult questions. Get used to that. You know, develop a voice in your head. And it's difficult because essentially the thing, what you've got to do inside your head, you've got to create two characters, two different believes this and one that believes the other. And you have to let those two people go to war. And whoever wins, that's that's the correct answer. And that's that's the way to conceptualize it. But we're not a generation of people that think. We don't put any we don't put genuine deep thought into anything. So I would encourage people, read and that will help you with your critical thinking. And then question everything you do. Do it for a month. For one month, carry on a little diary with you. Everything you fucking do, try and ask why you've just done it. Everything you say, ask why. Like, it's going to reveal some things to you. Love it. That's a powerful three to one, Andy. Wouldn't you agree? Definitely. I think it's been a powerful podcast, to be honest with you. I think it's been a powerful, uh, a powerful thing altogether. So important as well, you know. And what I love, uh, Neil, and we'll have to get you back on because there's loads we're uh, chatting about. Mm. Um, but but what I think he's so passionate is, is is your clear passion because I could see the the way that you get fired up about suicide prevention. Could see it, you know. And often, and you know, when you have controversial views, and I do it uh, hypothetically speaking, uh, or whatever it's called, this is called. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean? Uh, because it's not controversial. Everything you're saying comes from a place of understanding because you've been there. But also of a, a place where you've actually have that you've accepted the things that you need to work on, you've taken responsibility, you've read the books, you've done everything within you to to continue growing up. No one is ever complete, uh, yeah. and you know we've also got stuff to do. So what I love about it is anyone who's listening at first will, will go, "Well, he clearly doesn't understand that." Um, no, bullshit. And I have I'm very similar, and I, I get away with it at times. People say because of running this charity that I can yeah. say certain things that's controversial but i just what really uh, lit me up then was i saw when you started speaking about it how passionate you got about it and i think it's just fucking fantastic and yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm passionate for the same reason you guys are is that it doesn't need to happen and the only thing that frustrates me the most and that's why it's refreshing me and guys like you is that i genuinely believe the whole narrative the whole conversation about masculinity male suicide male depression i think it's i think it's wrong i think we have the entire thing backwards I don't think there's enough truth involved, you know? And I, I understand that. That's why I feel like I can speak, you know, so candidly. You know, I, I wrote my suicide note. I left my suicide note for my wife to find. I was sectioned. I understand it intimately. I know it. And that's why I know that all of that, all of it, when you, when, and please understand this, when you reduce it right down to the bottom, all of that came from parts of me that were cowardly, cowardly and weak. And we don't want to be cowardly and weak. Now, I'm not just cowardly and weak. And people that commit suicide are not just cowardly and weak. But are there elements of that? Of course there are. So how do we eliminate those elements? That's it. That's the real question. That's the real suicide prevention. You know, it's not about making life easier. It's how do we become stronger as men? And ironically, I do think that only men can help men become stronger as men. You know, it's a real strange brotherhood. And it's it's, it's perhaps something that women will never understand. You know, it's something that, that, that only we can understand. Love it. Wow. Powerful. Very much so. Very much so. Um, you know, we always finish off with uh, our little tagline as well and always say, it's okay to talk. It's okay to talk. It's okay to talk.
Cheers, lads. Thank you very much. It's just a bad day, dark feelings are back. Assault in your heart with a panic attack. There ain't no shame in feeling depression. You sit down and talk, son. Get it off your chest. It's just another bad day, dark feelings are back. Assault in your heart with a panic attack. There ain't no shame in feeling depression. You sit down and talk, son. Get it off your chest.